This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. My name is Mike Grimberg. I'm the CEO of Proofpoint Marketing. And today I've got Carter Severns here. And we're going to maybe deviate just slightly, if you will, from what we usually talk about, more tactical marketing. And we'll talk about marketing leadership specifically. Carter is the VP of Marketing at Place. Carter, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, Excited to be here and uh, talk shop with you a little bit. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, you know you've uh, you've been around the block, if you will, with a couple you know early stage organizations. You've got that bug clearly, uh, and you've built several teams. And I think where I'd like to start the discussion is maybe define what you believe are the differences that somebody needs to consider if they're in a early stage marketing org. Right, that could be early stage, say SaaS startup, but I think it also applies to say like. You know, maybe larger consulting groups and professional services firms that are just building out their marketing teams and things like that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you mentioned this, but my career has been pretty much entirely, you know, growth stage B2B companies, most recently focused pretty much entirely around SaaS in the last, you know, four or five years. But, uh, you know, even back to a few jobs ago, I was running a, a marketing agency with a few of my buddies, and we really were just focused on growth stage B2B companies. And that was from commercial real estate to uh, AI and machine learning into, uh, you know, financial consulting. So we had a really a wide array of, of customers that we were in the weeds and just figuring out how to help them grow in very, very different industries and verticals. Um, and so that background had allowed to, to kind of segue for me into more of a B2B SaaS role. Uh, but what's interesting is when you step into that, and in, in, in my instance, in the last two roles I've had, I've essentially been the first marketing hire. Maybe they've had you know, an outsourced person or a part-time or maybe a junior marketing person that was just kind of a catch-all. Uh, but, you know, for, for example, when I stepped into one of my roles, we didn't even have a CRM. I mean, we were just using spreadsheets. And so that first, I think, 90 days is what I call taking inventory. What do we have? What do we need? What are the tools? Where is budget being allocated? What freelancers do we have? What full-time people do we have? What headcount do we have for the rest of the year? Like all of those things have to be taken into account before you start making any decisions. Granted, the situation where there's no CRM, that's probably a top priority you want to address pretty quickly and say, let's get out of those Google Sheets where we're just tracking our, you know, our customers and have their other information in different cells. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest things that uh, maybe people don't expect coming into an early stage startup is, especially if you're from a larger, you know, larger corporation, is you expect to have a lot of the tools and the things set up and ready to go. And what's funny is you have to set those things up while also starting the marketing motion, right? It's really difficult at a startup that's, that's fast paced and you're usually expected to grow, you know, two X a year, whatever that is. It's really difficult to, st- you know, I hate the saying, but it's like you're trying to build the plane while you're flying it or whatever people say. It's, it's a really good way to explain it, honestly. I mean, that, that's kind of what you're, what you're stepping into a lot of the times. So uh, I can expand more on that, but that's kind of my mindset is like you've got to take an assessment of where things are. Uh, and then you also really can't sit on your hands very long. You've got to start putting that marketing, uh, you know, plan and, and start executing that. That good old uh, plane analogy. It's been it was drilled into me in, in my uh, startup days, if you will, by a mentor. So yeah, it's it's definitely a good one. Um, I'm curious, what do you think are the 
kind of common pitfalls or mistakes that marketing leaders make walking into a, a an early stage startup situation? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So uh, what I'll say is, is certainly mistakes that I've made is um, early on, right? You've probably got a, uh, a senior level person that you're reporting to that likely has some level of opinion on marketing, right? And um, it's really difficult early on when you probably haven't gained a whole lot of that trust to maybe push back on that person. And so I learned the lesson the hard way a couple of times of just like uh, shiny ball syndrome kind of being forced on me. So I'm think, sitting here thinking, okay, let's stand up this content marketing strategy. Let's look at what we're doing for three, six, nine months. Let's do our, you know, lay it out quarterly. Let's figure out if we want to redo the website or update um, what we're doing from like deal stages and HubSpot, like all these like pretty big, huge, massive things that need to be taken on. Um, but you might have a CEO that's like a visionary and they're like out there and they might have this idea and come to you and say, we have to do this today. We've got to start doing this right now. And early on, it's really hard to say, hey, no, not a good idea, or what's the outcome that you expect from this, or really trying to understand what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and so that's a tough balance, especially if you're not brought in at the executive level. You know, you're brought in at a, at a director level or maybe somewhere, you know, in between, which a lot of startups do early on. They don't necessarily invest in a high level executive because they need a mix of, of in the trenches execution and, and a little bit of strategy as well, which is kind of a unicorn in my opinion. Uh, but that's one of the lessons that I definitely learned the hard way was I would start spinning my wheels on things that were saying, oh, we've got to do this, got to do this, and then neglecting the things that I knew were important that had to be taken care of and addressed. Um, and then I remember, you know, a couple months in going, hey, wait a second, every three weeks, we've got this new big, huge thing that we have to go do. And I don't, I end up just not ever finishing anything because we keep on having this new thing pop up that we have to have done. And so that's the struggle of every marketer ever, right? Is how do you say no? How do you help people understand how much you have on your plate and the bandwidth? Um, and I actually heard this analogy the other day and I cannot for the life of me remember where I hear it. So if this was your idea, I apologize. But they basically were, were um, comparing marketing teams and marketers to like product and engineering, right? It, you've only got so much bandwidth. There's only so many bugs you can fix, so many releases that you can get out, so many features that you can build. And it's the same way with marketers, but for some reason, there's this idea that like marketing, you just say yes to everything and go do it. Um, and so that's one of the lessons that I think is, is, is age old, right? People know that you've got to say no to things, but it's really hard early on when you haven't built that trust to say, Hey, tr listen, CEO, like I'm going to go do what I think is really important. Um, so that's one of the things that, that comes to mind. Um, uh, and I think, you know, another thing of a, you know, a, a seasoned CEO is probably like, here's my idea you take it and you tell me what we're going to do with it, um, which my CEO just posted something that, about that the other day of like CEOs have tons of ideas, um, but knowing when it's like, this is type priority, we have to get it done, or I'm going to trust my team to decide where this fits in the list of priorities. Um, that's, a, that's a really good balance too. I think if you've got a leader that kind of understands that. Yeah. Like there's a lot of places we can go with that. One is it's, it's funny you bring that up because I, I both understand it from a, uh, the, the marketer side, but I also, I've also know that I'm the visionary in our organization. So I'm the one that's always dumping stuff like, Hey guys, why don't we do this? And what about this? And what about this? And I literally just got off a internal call with, uh, one of our folks and we were and for better, or for worse, he's also kind of, a likes to come up with ideas. So both of us are, I'm actually forcing myself to go, wait a second, let's prioritize. What's our, what's our sort of quickest path to whatever result we're trying to get. Let's focus on those first. And then, uh, and then tackle some of these other things, which, yeah, they might not be a big lift, but it's still a lift and it's going to take away from these other lifts that we need to do. Right. And then, um, so I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts of, I think there's, 
Well, I'm going to ask you one question at a time, which is how do you manage that early on? Like, like how do you, what's the mindset and maybe even tactically, how do you build up quickly that level of trust with your CEO or the founder or whoever that senior leader is to say, hey, thank you. I get it. Good idea. But I think we got to do these things first. So I wish I had a really easy answer for you because that it's just it's just not that simple. But here's what's in both of my, you know, the last five years I've been running marketing at B2B SaaS startups and generally starting marketing from a pretty, pretty much from scratch for the most part. Um, both of my last two roles, I have felt the shift in trust happen when something that I have said or proposed or put in motion or launched, whatever it was, is validated by a source that my CEO trusts. It happened in both roles. Um, I launched my first one. We launched this. Uh, it was like a weekly newsletter, but we did a, we did something a little more creative with it, and, and it was a, a there's a whole video around it. We were doing a promotions, and um, one of our consultants who was like a CRO at a huge company that my CEO had a ton of trust in was like, whoever's doing your marketing stuff is doing a fantastic job. And so there's outside validation that that kind of came with that. In my in my role currently, you know, we're working on right now really looking at how do we provide a self led buyer's journey with our website. To where when someone shows up, they can really look at, say, okay, am I trying to figure out, you know, what problem you solve for me? So I'm looking at a solution that you have, or am I just trying to figure out what do you do for me as a CMO? And maybe I want to go read about that first. And as I brought that to light early in, in the early weeks with my CEO and my, and my leadership team, I was kind of saying, hey, like, is this the best way that we can set this up? And do we have um, the ability for people to really learn and go through the, the initial buyer's journey without us being involved? Uh, and then again, my CEO had talked to somebody and, and they had said, hey, I just looked at your website. Here's some things you should be doing. And he came back to me and he goes, wow, like, these are all the things that you had told us we should do. Um, so I, that doesn't help, but like, that's been my experience as like, someone that my CEO has trusted um, has also echoed the things that I have said we need to be focused on and doing. Uh, and then the other thing is like, it, it takes time to build trust, right? That's one example of, of some outside validation. I think there's other things too, where, you know, my suggestions or things that I've said we should tweak and change have driven results, right? There's just a black and white, you know, situation there. So, uh, I wish I had a better answer of something like, Hey, go do these four things. Um, but for me in the last two roles, like both of those things, I could felt a shift where the CEO is like, Oh, Wow, like that. You just you like it just validated all the things that you were telling us we need to do. So not a rinse repeat by any means, but that's been my experience. <laughs> but I wonder if it could be, right? So like it, let's maybe hypothetically think through this together. Like can this be operationalized? Like cuz everything you're describing not to tout what we do, but fits into the overarch some of the overarching concepts we talk about in our relationship velocity framework, which is how do you build relationships at these different levels between the decision maker, the internal influencer, the external influencer, their teams, etc. This is kind of that. Like so could in theory, if you're if you are, say, the first marketer coming in, could you do some research and understand, hey, who are the influencers that the CEO trusts, right? And literally market to them, right? Like maybe even like practically reach out, like, hey, I'm thinking about this, but I what do you think, right? Especially if it's a consultant that's already working with you, right? Like, could you accelerate that trust build, if you will? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, that's certainly an interesting point. And the consultant thing is a really good, uh, a good point too. I mean, we, we have someone that we kind of have as uh, <clears throat> like a, just a leadership consultant. He's kind of sounding board for me and the, mm -hmm. um, our, you know, our, our director of sales, our VP of operations, like just kind of been around the block and seen a lot of things. And he was kind of like uh, acting CMO essentially. And he was one of the first people that interviewed me. 
Uh, and he and I hit it off really well. And when we still get along to this day, I have a one-on-one with him every week and we spend a lot of time together. Um, so that's a great point. Uh, you know, he definitely was an, an influence uh, and, a, and a voice of, of wisdom and reason within our company. And so the fact that he and I were on the same page and, and saw things the same way certainly was a, a mm-hmm. backup for me, especially when I'm going and saying, hey, I need budget for X, Y, Z, or I think we should pull this investment and change it to here um, to have the opportunity to talk to that consultant guy first, right? And make sure that he agrees with what I'm mm-hmm. trying to do with his two years of history of the business. Um, yeah, there, that, there's certainly there's certainly a point there of, um, I mean, it's just building allies, essentially, if you think about it. Yeah, 100%. And then the other thing I'm just thinking, again, thinking out loud too is, you know, uh, that first marketing hire is, it's a risk and it's an investment, right? From the founder's perspective. Uh, and the investor's perspective, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's how do you, how do you de-risk that as quickly as you can, right? And figuring out what are the common you know hesitations and skepticisms that someone's going to have bringing in a marketing leader, right? And how do you and can you address that through well, that? Yeah, and so uh, to really just to echo your point, if you think about um, the way that I think about you know our prospects, right, our our, our potential customers a lot of what they're doing is just trying to mitigate their own risk, right? If they're the buyer, if they're the person signing on the line for our software, Mm -hmm. the same thing's happening in an interview, right? The CEO is trying to mitigate his risk and especially bringing in an executive level, uh, you know, marketer. That's something that the board's aware of, right? That's something that the rest of the executives are aware of. And that's usually a pretty significant investment, especially when you've got outside funding or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's a really good point, right? All you're trying to do is like eliminate the possibility of things going wrong. Um, and so, yeah, if you can make your CEO or in the same way you can make a prospect or customer feel confident and have trust in you and, and believe in what you're saying and what you're going to do for them. Um, yeah, you definitely have a better chance of succeeding. And, and I think that goes with both scenarios or examples that I yeah. just gave. Yeah, not to belabor the point, but also like if you think about the economic environments, right, the the harder it is to get funding, the bigger of a risk any type of senior level hire is, right, because you screw it up. You spend a bunch of money, the likelihood of you, your, your next funding round is not as close as it probably was when things were going well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, uh, for us specifically, like we have a pretty complex product. Like it's not a, it's not a plug and play widget. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty robust platform. And so the time it takes to get onboarded and up to speed and understand it, I'm still learning it. I'm seven months into this role and I'm still finding new things every day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely a, a factor as well, right? If you have to start from scratch and turn around and have to hire over again and spend that six months getting people up to speed, uh, all over again. How do you decide when it's time to hire or potentially outsource? Yeah, so the way that I think about uh, the hiring versus outsourcing thing is, you know, essentially, if there are things that I can't keep you busy 40 hours a week, or I can't justify a full time employee to do it, I'm going to go find a really good, reliable uh, outsourcing option. So whether that be an agency or a freelancer or a, um, you know, there's a group that we're using that's just strictly graphic design on retainer each month, and it's like unlimited graphic design and it's you know it's a decent service for mm-hmm. where we're at right i could just send them blog graphics and pdfs and you name it yep um so that's the way is that, that design I think about pickle or is that somebody else yeah just, yeah design pickles who are using yeah we, I, we use them for internal stuff too yeah yeah no i i literally i cannot complain um mm-hmm. and what's funny is you know I've, I've used a ton of freelancers in my career i have, feel like i have a rolodex of them and when I got into this role, I was like starting to stand up some of those things. I can't tell you how many of the people that I've used in the past that I know are good and I trust and are like, I'm booked. 
okay, do you have anybody you can refer me to? And like, oh, they're booked for the next three months. And so yep. um, I think the, I think that's a, this is a totally different tangent, but I think the creator economy, like the, the, the gig work economy, whatever that's called, that freelance world, people are realizing they can make good money and work whenever they work <laughs> from wherever and, and, you know, take projects and then walk away and work on them and bring them back. Um, so if you have a skill set like that, that absolutely has become very, very popular. Also, people yep. like myself are looking to be more cost effective and bring in part time folks to do that work at still a high you know, level of, of quality. Um, so I say all of that to say, you know, when I walked into this role, we had headcount allocated. And essentially, as I started kind of taking inventory and looking at what we're doing and trying to figure out exactly what our needs were, I did shift completely away from what the headcount originally was uh, previous to me getting here the decision on where you bring in folks is totally dependent upon what your what your biggest obstacles and hurdles are for us right now i think the biggest thing we're trying to figure out is uh, just awareness top of funnel right so people just don't really know what we do and that we exist and how we can help them and we don't have a pro a product that is an easy 60 to 90 second here's who we are here's what we do here's why you should pay attention here's why you should take a demo and here's why you should give us our money we can't really do that in 60 to 90 seconds honestly it's just not that simple and we don't fit nicely into a, a little category that everybody understands and so what we've got to do is go through the process of creating content and doing thought leadership and, and and being vocal on linkedin and in different communities like pavilion those are the places where we have an opportunity to actually you know gain that brand awareness through being helpful and through thought leadership and leading with value um, which is a common thing, right? That's nothing new. Uh, but for us in a, in a world where it's a complex cell, it's not simple. It's not a, you know, PLG. That's not, that's not the model for us. And so what I identified is like, we've got to go get a really good content marketing person. And then along, along with that, I don't necessarily want that content marketing person sitting in front of the computer, typing out, you know, 750 words every day. I want them thinking about the strategy and what are we doing for this quarter based on the different ICPs that we want to get in front of and what their problems are and what the mediums and channels we use to get in front of them. So then I've got to arm that person with a copywriter who's on retainer, a graphic design group who's on retainer, maybe a web dev, you know, agency that we can use so that they aren't in the weeds so much on execution but are able to think high level, high strat, high level strategy. What are we doing from a big picture perspective? Maybe they are going to have to be loading up blogs in the background and doing some social copy and maybe writing some emails and some sequences and doing things like that. But if you're bringing someone in that needs to be doing a lot of content production and, and, and publishing, you can't ask them to write everything or hop into Canva and make graphics. Like it's just not going to, it's not going to work. So that's a real example. I'm hiring for that role as we speak right now. That is one that I'm currently recruiting for. Um, and so that was one of the first things that I identified was, was a, a, an uphill battle for us was getting in front of people and educating them. Um, so hiring a content person is the way to do it. Uh, the, the way I've done it in the past too, that's worked out is, um, I was lucky enough to have two headcount at the same time, uh, as my first two hires. And the way that that team was broken out was basically brand and demand, right? So you've got the brand side that's focused on creating that content and writing it and putting together the slides for the webinar. And then I've got a demand side that's focused on how do we get eyeballs on that content? How do we get people to sign up for that webinar? How do we get people to engage with us? Um, and that was a really good uh, you know, balance between the two. You've got, uh, and also a lot of crossover and a lot of collaboration there. Um, and so if you have no idea where to go or where to start, that would be my suggestion is think about brand and demand as your kind of your two sides of your marketing team uh, and, and try to staff and allocate and give them resources pretty evenly, I think. Yeah, I think um, I'm curious how much are you taking into account uh, when you're deciding whether you can use an FTE versus a set of, uh, again, either agencies or some sort of outsourced services or even individuals? Are you doing 
any kind of estimating of, okay, what's it going to take from a project management perspective to manage, say, five resources versus one FTE or something? Yeah, that's absolutely a factor. And, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I use the term, you know, when you've got an army of freelancers, it's like herding cats is the, the terminology that I like to use. Because it's, it's, it's very rare that you've got uh, three or four freelancers who are all willing to get out of their project management system and come into yours. Now, maybe they'll come into Slack, which is great, but it's unlikely that you're gonna have your copywriter and your graphic designer and your web dev person all get on a call together. When you've got those people working for you and you've got a Monday standing you know, marketing meeting where everyone comes together, can talk about what's going on and there's synergy there and you're hearing, hey, I need this from you and that from you. Without that, you become the hub of all of that communication, right? You're the person that's having to take one thing from the copywriter and pass it off to the, the designer to do the PDF of the ebook. And uh, that's a massive lift. And I think it's, uh, sometimes it's under, underestimated. And I think sometimes also when you're, you know, when you're a team of one or two, you don't think about the fact that you're going to spend two, three hours a week just project management. You know, you're just going to be doing those things, trying to keep things afloat and keep things moving and checking in on statuses and updating people internally. So uh, I, I don't know exactly if that answered your question or not, but I, you certainly do have to factor in the more freelancers you bring into the mix, the more time you're going to spend managing them and keeping the communication lines open because it's unlikely that all of them are going to be in the same place talking to each other. And most freelancers don't really have any interest in spending the time doing that anyways. Yeah, and it's couple of things I can add to it because again we we use freelancers both for some of our internal marketing as well as some client things too uh, depending on on what it is and it's two things one for the, I think for the freelancers or like micro agencies out there I actually think there is a an opportunity to be more white glove, right? So most, like, if you look at most, uh, I'm, I'm kind of taking a tangent here, but if you look at most, like, coaching and stuff for freelancers and stuff, it's all about how do you operationalize, how do you make it repeatable, whatever, like, yes, but you can charge a premium. So, like, I was actually advising one of my, uh, somebody who used to work for me in the past, and he's building a agency kind of overflow consulting service. And I'm like, hey, look, uh, for me, what really matters is can you operate within my systems? Your systems make my life harder. I'd rather just hire yep. an FTE at that point because of I'm already hurting enough cats with clients and stuff like that and even employees and whatever. If I need to go in somebody else's system, it's not even worth it to me. Right now, if you're, if you're not an agency, it's not as bad, but it's still bad. Right? So I think there's this opportunity for freelance consultants to actually charge more, but you use that as a value add. The other thing I'll throw out there is I think as you were looking for uh, these freelancers, consider that as a, as that opportunity cost and actually like put a, put a, some sort of dollar value to it. Like, okay, well, if this, like even estimate, like, okay, if I'm gonna, for each, you know, consultant I bring in, it's whatever, 10 hours of monthly or weekly project management time, multiply that out, put your, I mean, you can easily calculate your own, hourly rate at, you know, based on what you get paid say, okay, at what point am I better off just saving my time and, or my team's time and hiring an extra FTE? Yeah, absolutely. And then I, you know, beyond the, you know, calculation of your time, it's, it's a super black and white thing to just look at the average yeah. invoice every month and then, you know, bounce <clears> that against what it costs to bring in a full-time, you know, employee, Yeah. which, you know, there's, there's additional costs uh, associated with that when it comes to, mm -hmm. you know, insurance. I mean, you know, perfectly well but that's the other thing too that i was looking at for a really long time was uh specifically like motion graphics and video 
we were mm-hmm. outsourcing four, six, eight thousand dollars a month worth of that, and eventually we were just like, look, maybe it's a few thousand dollars more, but to have some committed forty hours a week in our systems at that time here in the office with us, able yeah. to you know be a part of the creative process and suggest things rather than us just saying, here, go create this and come back. There's a ton of value to be had when someone's actually in the trenches and is is, is understanding your business, not just a giant word doc that's cut this clip at this second to this time, and then you know uh, it becomes a totally different process. So. Uh, that's a luxury though, right? Like at my, mm-hmm. my, my previous role, we had a marketing team of 12. So we had a bunch of help and a bunch yeah. of people and we were starting to hire some of those more creative type folks. But early on, you know, you, you kind of have to just trudge through a lot of that project management and communication mm-hmm. uh, because it's just the, it's the name of the game. Yeah, no, you, you actually just brought up something. I think another point that's really important to highlight, which is the that difference between, you know, if you got somebody internal, you're, expectation there is okay we're gonna take some time they're gonna get onboarded they're gonna learn the business the revenue model the the strategy the business strategy the marketing all the stuff right which helps them be better at the actual tactical thing that they're gonna do with a consultant or a freelancer whatever that's hard most of them number one don't want to take the time and you also don't really want to pay them to do it so you have to kind of absorb that. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm have to make my brief ten times better because otherwise it's gonna miss, and I'm gonna just you know all this stuff. So I think that's a critical thing to highlight. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point, point. Um, and it's so interesting too, right? There's a there's an interesting balance as well when you think about okay, if I'm paying you know a, a marketing agency to, you know twenty five thousand dollars a month, that's a lot, mm-hmm. right? But you get access to six or eight different people who have different skill sets and you kind of break up those hours. So there's a certain place. I think a lot of, in my mind, a lot of marketing teams are like hire for a handful of folks that are kind of generalists who can do a whole lot of things or have some hobbies that, that, that apply, you know, video editing maybe. Uh, and then I think you can transition to agency for a certain amount of time. And then eventually you get to, you know, 100, 150 employees, like you probably start to build out your internal team. Like that's the point where there's a tipping point where it doesn't make sense to pay 25, 30, 40 grand a month for an agency. Uh, It's likely you'll start to build things in-house. And honestly, if you're a good agency, I think that's kind of your goal, right? Growth stage companies that need help growing and that's your job is to grow them. In theory, if you've done your job, they might outgrow you. You might disagree Mm -hmm. with me. I'd like to hear your opinion on that. But that's kind of the way I've thought of, even when I had an agency, it's like, if we do our job, they're probably going to outgrow us. Like they're probably going to be too big. I actually 100% agree with you, and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share this now. But in the future, there's actually a I mean, people can probably guess, but there's a service line that we're gonna be developing to sort of quote unquote offboard to a certain extent. Okay. So All right. uh, I actually think it's an stay. opportunity to a certain extent. But stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Sign up for their newsletter. Make sure you're following them on go. social yeah. so you can see what's going on. Yeah, definitely follow on social. We haven't we haven't done the newsletter thing yet. But oh, you brought yeah. up something that I think is a great transition from a I guess maybe one last thing on the mindset side, which is you just said something about um, uh, side hustles or hobbies on the side that are skill sets, if you will. Talk about the mindset on hiring. Like, how do you how do you decide who to hire or what type of person to hire for this kind of again early stage uh, company? Yeah, uh, great question. So, a couple of thoughts there. One of the things that I uh, am certainly looking for is uh, you know if I call it like eighty twenty, which I think is a common thing, where it's like if you're eighty percent there, like whatever the other twenty percent is, we can get you there. I think there's a Le, like a, a 
more of an intangible of like the figure it out gene is kind of what I call it. So when you come into a, a growth stage startup, we probably don't have a learning development department where people have courses for you every month and you've got to get certifications and you go to classes and like, it's up to you to learn those things and, and to stay in front of what's happening in the industry and making sure that you're taking the time to go get certified or, or whatever those things are. And so the side hustle thing is a piece of it, right? That means that you've, you've got initiative, right? You want to go learn and do things outside of your, your nine to five. And if I'm completely honest, I would not have the jobs that I have had if I hadn't gone and done things on the side and figured out how to do stuff and run Facebook and Instagram ads and built websites on my own stuff that was not being asked of me in my nine to five, but I definitely a hundred percent have used it in my most recent roles. Um, but when it comes to that interviewing thing, it's really interesting. I actually tend to lean towards the figure it out gene. And, um, usually it's a lot more soft skills, to be honest. Like I can teach you how to use HubSpot. I can teach you all the hard skills that you need to go get certified or figure out how to do things in Salesforce. Like those are learnable things. It's some of the more intangible personality things. Are you, you know, again, these cliche self-starter type things. If you know, you're in a, a growth stage startup, if you need to be told what to do like every day and every hour, like you're not going to do well because everyone's so busy. And so it's more of a, uh, aligning on your goals with your your leader, right? Them saying, yes, that's what you should be doing. And you go execute and then you come back when you need help. And to be honest, the other thing that I really focus on is I try to find people who are better at stuff than me. I, an example, I've never been a product marketer. So I've got a director of product marketing that's fantastic at it. And my job is to get out of his way and remove as many barriers and hurdles as possible. And in that same vein, uh, we're looking to hire kind of like a biz dev partner marketing person. Again, I've had people that have worked for me before that have done that. I've never done it personally. So my goal is to go find someone who's done it before, who's going to be really successful and can run it and own it. And I, my job again is like, how do I set you up to be successful? And you tell me what you need and I'll do it. Um, and that honestly is a, a top down thing at most companies. Like that's the way my CEO runs things. He's like, I hired you to do this. Here are the keys. And so I try to embody that. And that's the way that I've hired and grown my teams in the past. Um, the only other thing I'll say to you that I think is important is finding a way to give people uh, time to focus on the things that they enjoy. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a job, right? We're all going to do things that we don't want to do. But over the span of the first six to 12 months, if we can figure out what it is that you really love to do and really enjoy doing, how do we kind of shift in your trajectory to continue doing those things? And then we'll bring someone else in maybe to take some of the stuff off your plate that you don't enjoy doing. Um, that is what I have found to keep people really engaged, to keep them enjoying coming back, to, to, to keep them like feel like they're solving new problems and getting involved in things that they like to do. Um, and so I like to ask that question. In, in interviews, like what do you, what are the things of marketing that you feel like you're really good at? Your skill set is, and and that helps me understand where you fit in with the team. Uh, because, like I said, I hire people who are better at stuff than me, and then by the nature of that, we should have a really good balanced team. And then the last thing I'll say about this that it's exciting to me to hire people who are better at stuff is I get to learn from them, right? I haven't sat in that seat, and if they've done it before and they've stood up a, a product marketing you know program or a, a partner marketing channel program. I get to benefit from that. And I think people forget that just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you know everything and you can't learn something from someone else. Um, and so that's the way that I think about, you know, from interviewing and people and skills and uh, uh, bringing, you know, new folks into the fold and the, the team dynamic that goes along with that. Yeah. I, the um, Something we're starting to implement, I'm going to mess up. I'm looking it up on our, our Slack channel. So one of our, uh, James, one of our directors of demand, and just, uh, recommend I think it's called the zone of genius or maybe that's one of them but it's pretty much like a four box uh, quadrant thing where you kind of decide mm -hmm. like okay what are the well, I'm looking it up here uh, there's the zone of genius there's the drudgery zone the disinterest zone and the disinter distraction zone and the development zone huh that's maybe 
Maybe too many zones for four box. Oh, so the zone of genius is like, I think it's in, uh, that's what it is. It's like in between, I forget which box. I, again, I, we're just starting to implement and I'm letting other folks lead it. Here's a perfect example. Like I don't, HR and like leadership development is not my strong, so I, I enjoy it, it's interesting, but so we're letting some other folks that are better at it you know, kind of lead the way, so there's an example for you. But so the, that concept is actually really interesting because it lets you figure out, okay, again, like in a operationalized way, what are the things based on, like we're, we're starting to do it like at 90 days, you've been there long enough, you kind of got an idea of what your role looks like, what are the things you love, what are the things you hate, what are, you know, what gets you excited, whatever, like that kind of thing. And then based on that, do exactly what you just said, is figure out, all right, what's the progression look like? Are there things we can either outsource to, uh, you know, freelancers versus uh, internal things? And what are things you're gonna have to do? Because, hey, look, I run the company. I hate a bunch of stuff that I do, but it's just, you know, part of the, part of the job, right? Like, and you're not gonna love everything. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're not. It's part of it. Uh, and I try to remind people of that it's like, you know, it's a job at the end of the day. There's certain things we all have to do. Yep. Um, and the other thing I'll say that you, I think you, you said it or you alluded to it, but that's the way that I end, uh, you know, most of my one-on-ones. What, what, what can I do to make your life easier? Like, what is it that's frustrating you? What are things that are, that are barriers or roadblocks that I can be of assistance? Yep. Um, and it's funny cause like so many times it's like, Nope, nothing. I'm good. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, really nothing? Like, and so yep. sometimes you can have to push and pry and if people don't want to share that, it's fine. Um, and then the other thing I'll say too is like, this is totally off, off the beaten path here, but like, if you can set up a way to anonymously let people give you that feedback, mm -hmm. I found you're much more likely to actually hear what is frustrating people. Cause a lot of times they're not going to tell their manager or their leader to their face, what's frustrating them, especially if it's their leader that's frustrating them. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's one of those things. It's like, if you can find what's, what's tough for people, what they dislike or what's, what's dragging them down, uh, and try to, you know, remove that. That's a, it's a huge thing for people's just happiness in their role, I think. How have you, I mean, tactically, I've, I'm curious, how have you done that? Because uh, I might, again, selfishly, I'm curious about that too, because I agree with you. Like, you can ask the questions, but sometimes people are hesitant. Yeah, and so it's interesting, right? Um, I have actually found that, you know, in my previous role at least, we kind of had a tiered, you know, uh, structure, hierarchy, whatever you want to call it. And so I had two, I had two director level people below me. Um, and, and I found that they could get more honest feedback from their team than I could. I think, you know, when you got a, a marketing mm -hmm. coordinator who's in their first year of their career, they're not going to be real comfortable telling a VP of marketing that they're upset about X, Y, Z. Um, but you might have that director and that marketing coordinator at a happy hour. And it's just more of a, you know, casual conversation and things come up and, mm -hmm. and there's ways to, to collect that. Um, that to me has really been the, the best is like when you've got good directors and good managers who have good relationships and trust with their people, um, that's been a really good way, I think, to funnel things back to me. And then that arms me to go into an executive meeting or whatever it is and say, Hey, you know, I'm hearing this from all these, you know, these team members or there's this, that going on. Like we should address this as a leadership team. And that's happened. That's a real thing that has absolutely happened where, um, you know, we had like entry level people who are like, I, I, I'd like to be able to give anonymous feedback to as a whole, how I feel without being it, you know, tied to my name. So we set up anonymous surveys company wide. And that was mm -hmm. the thing that we implemented where people could share their feedback. And that came back yep. to us as the executive team. Um, so, I mean, that's one like kind of tangible example, but I do think there's a lot of trust involved. And I think it's having good managers who have a good pulse on their people as well. Uh, you know, when you get into a larger team or org, um, you know, that's one of those things. And, and the other thing I'll add to that is that director has the choice to give me that feedback anonymously from whoever it was on the team, right? You, you create mm -hmm. a buffer where there's a layer of trust there and then that person can share. So that's the way that it's worked for me in the past, having good directors who have a good pulse on their people and then who are willing to have really honest conversations. Um, you know, I think that's pretty important.
Yeah, for sure. hundred percent agree. And we've, you know, on the survey side of things, yeah, we, you know, we do like those spot surveys through Gusto and things like that. And our team is still small enough where we can maybe 25 to 50% of the time guess like who's given the feedback. But at the end of the day, it's just, that doesn't matter in the sense of like, as long as we get the feedback, that's the important part. Um, uh, well, going back to one, one thing you mentioned, like the asking in the one-on-ones and ending that, I do the same thing. And I, I, I borrowed this from somebody. I can't remember who same. Like, like you said, I can't remember who said it. So if this is your idea, feel free to take the credit. Uh, it's the the question I ask often is, you know, uh, rank your week or whatever on a, on a scale of one to ten, one being the worst, ten being the best, whatever it is. Like, what can I do today to make it one point better? So if they say seven, what can I do to get it to an eight? Right. So it almost puts like a number to it, and it, it just it makes it less arbitrary almost, I feel like. So I have gotten, if it, ever since I started implementing that, implementing that rather than asking the more general question, I have found people more willing to give more specific answers to that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I hadn't thought of that, but essentially you, you're, you know, making it a little more systematic, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's a little bit more, <clears throat> more binary of a simple progression as opposed to just a huge open-ended question. Genius, yeah. I think it's a great idea. I'm gonna have to try that. I didn't make it up, so whoever whoever did is is the genius. I'm just using it, and seems like it works. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's let's talk skill sets. You've done this a couple of times now. What do you believe are the critical skill sets that a early stage startup marketing leader needs to have? Yeah, so I maybe, mean, like, I, maybe even prioritize. I'm like, what's the number one, two, three? Like, if 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 you're the CEO and you're hiring them, like, what's the main thing you got to look for? Let's maybe ask that mm. question that way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, ha- I haven't really necessarily been a CEO, I don't think, so it's a little bit tricky for me to answer that question. But I do think you have to understand uh, what your expectation of marketing is, right? If you are a well-established company and you're looking to you know, grow your brand and tell your story, that's a different marketer than someone that you need to come in and build pipeline tomorrow, you know? And honestly, in my opinion, like the brand and the story thing is a lot of a factor that helps build that pipeline. But if you don't have that balance of being understand how those two interplay with each other and how there's a a certain part of your budget that you are going to have to show ROI for, and hopefully your CEO understands that there's a certain part of the budget that we're going to try some stuff. We're going to do a podcast. We're going to sponsor a show or do some billboard that I'm not gonna be able to tie back perfectly into a spreadsheet for you. Um, you know, I, I think there's a balance uh, within that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything super tactical. I, honestly, the first marketer is usually a, a unicorn type generalist where dangerous enough at a lot of things, but, m- but maybe not super, super deep on a specific channel or a specific tactic. That to me is where that first marketing hire has to be really self-aware about the things they're good at and the things they're not good at and knowing when to outsource and when to keep them. Um, that to me is, is maybe one of the biggest things is are they, are they aware enough to understand where things should be outsourced versus where they should be kept in-house? There's also a balance of understanding what your time is worth. I could probably go into Premiere Pro and cut together a video and it might take me three hours and it's like, what could I have been spending that three hours on as opposed to paying somebody a few hundred dollars to go cut that video for me? Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's the generalist, it's having all those different skill sets, but it's also the knowing when to use them and when to dial back and not use them. Um, that's a huge piece too. Uh, and then, like I said, I think, I think that the marketing person has to be able to align to what you're trying to do. So in, in my example, uh, you know, now is like, we're, we're tied to pipeline. Like that's the one thing that, that marketing is, is, uh, looking at. 
pipeline as a whole for a company. And then we do still look at the, the split between marketing and sales, just as a, at least a, a somewhat of an indicator. Um, but those are things off the top of my head. Uh, what can I expand on or, or give you more information on from those? I'm curious, do you, uh, do you guys track your time at all in terms of how much time you're spending on things? No, uh, I haven't done that in a really long time. Uh, we did it as an agency just so we can yeah. understand time allocation towards uh, different clients, right? Which makes mm -hmm. sense if you're spending a ton of time on a client that's not paying you as much as another one, vice versa. Uh, I haven't done that in any of my, my more recent startup roles, um, yeah. mostly because in my world, well, I'll, I'll state this first. My wife and I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So to think that I work this like perfect you know, nine-to-five linear day is just a joke. It's just not the case. I'm changing diapers or I'm doing lunches or I'm doing drop-offs or whatever the things are. So for me, that means I start my day an hour and a half earlier before most of the people mm -hmm. at our company because that's quiet time in my house and I can get some things done and focus. I also might hop back on from 8 to 9 p.m. because that's when I need to get things done and that's when the kids have gone to sleep. Um, and so if you are hiring people and you're basing it on, hey, get your stuff done, hit your deadlines, deliver quality of work. It's going to come to light pretty quickly who the people are that can't do that and can't manage their own time and can't be, you know, uh, you know, time efficient and self-sufficient. And, um, so I like to give people the freedom to work whenever work, wherever I, I it's a results-based role for me. Like if you're getting mm -hmm. your stuff done and, and doing it well, that's what matters. Um, so you know, it's tough for me in this world to really try to track time or really try to plug that in anywhere. Um, it almost becomes more of a time suck where everyone's spending two hours on a Friday afternoon trying to think about what they did for the week. At least that was how it was for me when I was doing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in, in our roles, it's like, you know, it, it, it'll come to light pretty quickly if you're not getting your stuff done. So I, I, you know, I shouldn't have to try to tr track your time. You know, the other thing that, that applies there is I used to have the, the, the SDR function report under marketing under me. And I would tell them, I was like, I don't care how many calls you make, how many emails you make, how many whatever it is. Like we've got either a pipeline number you need to hit or a meeting set you need to hit each month. Doesn't matter how you get there to me. Now, if you're not hitting that two months in a row, I'm probably going to go look and see what you're doing from a production standpoint because that's a leading indicator of results. Uh, but until you give me a reason to go look at that, I, I'm not going to question it. And so I think if you hire good people that are results driven and are, are good at time management and want to, want to be successful in their role, hopefully there isn't a need for time tracking However, completely understand the agency side. That's where it makes a ton of sense to me because you are, in some sense, at least you know, hourly billable type type setup. Yeah, and the the reason I was asking is, I, and I, I'm not surprised your answer is no. I'm that several times I've been in house, we never tracked it. Every time I've been in an agency, we always track time. The reason I ask is because it's not like to me, even even within an agency environment, like I we tell people like, look, we're not doing this to. I, I don't. I'm not tracking your time per se. It's more of I'm trying to understand, are we profitable and are we efficient? And where can we, where do we, like, where do we need to optimize process and, you know, things like that. And the reason I asked it for, for you is because, you know, like being self-aware of what your time is worth. I think that that thing is sometimes very hard for people to actually see. And time tracking brings it to light really quick. I mean, well, I remember... Uh, we were working with an advisor at one point, and that's one of the first things they had us do is like the, for I think for a week, like, okay, just track your time. I'm like, well, I do. I'm like, no, no, no. Forget your time tracker. Just do it in your notebook and just estimate like for every half hour, what did you do? And it very quickly becomes evident. And that, that's when we figured out like, holy crap, we're spending like 30% of our time in meetings. That's insane. Right? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I was going to say, I, it, that is a much more tactical way to do it, right? Um, but I think with experience, you start to learn and realize, okay, I can't sit down and write a 500-word blog post. Like, it's not a good use of my time. I'm certain that I tried to do everything early on. Um, yeah. But honestly, like, if you're, a, if you're interviewing for a marketing role, uh, beyond asking what the headcount is, you need to ask what the budget is for outsourced allocation mm. to, to freelancers for help uh, because you'll just spin your wheels and you'll never get anything done if you're trying to do everything yourself. So uh, I definitely, I, I think I definitely struggled with that, you know, as the first marketer the first time going around. But a few minutes into it, you realize you're like, man, I haven't made nearly as much traction as I thought. And you look back and like, well, I sat there and edited that video for six hours and I didn't do the thing, other things that I need to get done. So it is an, it, it is an art. Uh, if you aren't doing the science part of it where you're actually writing it down. <laughs> yep. What are, um, what are some of the other questions you think you would recommend that uh, you know, the first marketer, marketing leader coming out in a role asked in the interview process? Oh, great question. Uh, so there's certain, there's certain metrics you want to ask about that look at the health of the business, right? Um, what's your MRR? What's your ARR? What's your cash runway? What's your burn rate? That, those are all very SaaS specific, so that's that's to my world. Asking what revenue is is a great question. Um, the other thing that I think is really really important is understanding where they're at in their journey of product market fit. Um, if you, if if the company themselves can't explain what they do, it's going to be really hard for you as a marketer to try to explain that to the market. It's totally fine to take a job as a marketer when you don't have product market fit as long as your CEO knows that you don't have product market fit, right? Then you get to go along that journey. And that's a really good exercise to figure out how you're gonna go to market. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in a well-established business. We then rolled out newer products and I got to be involved in some of those like taking new products to market. So we had a, a little bit more flexibility and it was a little bit more of an experiment. But when you're really early on uh, and if your CEO has identified that marketing is a need, which usually is not the case when you don't have product market fit yet, in my opinion. Um, but if you are being brought in before there's product market fit, you better make sure that your CEO knows that, hey, we've got to get that right before you expect to have a whole lot of revenue and production from us. So um, those are some of the things that I definitely definitely ask about. The other thing for sure that I ask about is like, what does pipeline look like? What's your close rate look like? Um, what's the average deal size? Uh, all of those things are indicators of the health of the business. Uh, if they've got a goal to add, you know, 5 million in revenue this year, but the average deal size is $7,500 a year, like, how attainable is that? You know, so there's some things that like just simple math metrics, understanding, you know, what it is that you're being asked to do and whether or not that's attainable or not. That's a terrible example. Hopefully no one wants to put on 5 million in ARR and have a $7,500 average deal size. But um, um, that's, that's the point that I actually, made. Uh, there's a client I'm going to be talking to uh, later on this afternoon, uh, but not as bad, but they've got, they've got some I think, crazy goals that anyway, that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so, so here, here's the other thing with that too, is like aligning expectations, right? So if your CEO says, okay, I, you know, I, we need to do X and pipeline and we want you guys to be responsible for 50% of that. Okay. I can back into the number of what I need to do from a weekly, monthly, quarterly perspective mm -hmm. and understand historically, has that been attainable in the past? Has it happened? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as like an AE asking what's the highest, you know, highest performing AE there is and what's the lowest. So you understand exactly what's possible. Um, but I think, I think that's really important before you walk in and, and agree to sign on the line to take on a marketing role at a startup is what are the expectations of you? How possible is that? Is it challenging but attainable or is it just a pie in the sky number that they pulled out of nowhere because that's what the investors want to see? Yeah, that, that top down versus bottom up. I, I just, I'm amazed about how many marketers and uh, miss that. 
right? And it's like, oh, yeah, here's your you know, $10 million. All right, sounds great. What's my budget? Same as last year. Mm, how, yep. right? And, and a lot of the time, the other mistake I feel like they make is like, okay, well, we're going to spend the same amount of money on media, but we're going to target better, and that's going to give us, whatever, say, 2x the ACV. All right, fine. But what about the fact that to get the 2x ACV, you have to completely change the type of content you're doing, which means more investment in content and creative. Whoops, we forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah, that, that whole thing is, I think, so, so, so critical to ask early on. Actually, something agencies should ask early on, by the way, too, when you're, <laughs> when you're talking to, to customers, like, hey, what, what are these objectives and how have you hit them before? Because, yeah, I want to be responsible to pipeline and revenue as, as your partner, but this needs to be attainable. If you, if you want to 10x your business, okay, what are the assumptions we're making that's going to happen? Like, we can, sure, we can try to help you get there, but is this realistic? Yeah. And the truth of the matter is like marketing's not a silver bullet. Like I, it's just not like you, you have to have a really great sales team. You have to have good uh, product market fit. You have to be able to actually deliver and, and implement and have customers that love it. Like, so if you're being brought in as the, the silver bullet on the marketing side, and they think that's going to solve everything as the marketer or as the marketing agency, you've got to understand all the other factors that play into whether you're going to be successful or not. So specifically for a mark for us, right? All we can do is get, get the pipeline created, right? All we can get it is to opportunity. And then we trust and believe in our sales team to get that to a closed one deal. Well, it's like, how often have they done that in the past? What's our win rate? You know, that's a great question to ask if you're responsible for, for top line revenue as well as just pipeline that you're trying to bring in. Uh, and I think a lot of time people kind of skip that question and maybe forget about it. So yeah, from a marketing agency or, or, or you know, in-house marketer, that's certainly something you want to understand and align on the expectations there. Awesome. So let's talk, um, let's talk tool sets. In terms of, are there any specific processes that you've developed or tools that you have started using or have used that allow you to be an effective marketing leader? Oh, from a tools perspective, you mean like like software, like that kind of tools? Again, I, 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 I look at it as the broader definition of tools, so like process or actual software or even, or like hey, I, we have a specific spreadsheet that tracks X, Y, and Z that helps me do whatever. Like, I sort of lump that all together because it's definitely not just all tech. Yeah, okay, so that, that's a good one. So I, I think there's uh, one process that's kind of developed here in the last few weeks just as, as I've kind of you know settled into this role and, and started to develop what we're doing. You know, we do have uh, a Monday, basically, sales and marketing alignment. That's a, It's an hour-long meeting where we sit together and say, okay, let's go through pipeline. Let's go through open deals. Let's understand why something went to closed lost and what were some of the nuances that we found out on the calls that maybe is a... Uh, a piece of feedback that I can take back and tweak our LinkedIn audience, right? Maybe we need to remove a job title because it's just not resonating. Are we getting them to the meetings and they say, oh, wait a second, you know, I, I don't want to use XYZ platform. Or we don't have that integration, whatever those things are. Um, but it's also been a really good opportunity for us to work through that pipeline, right? And then hold each other accountable. So when sales says, hey, you know, this, this ICP that we're going after is really not right for us. And, and they're not actually the buyer. They're not actually the decision maker. Uh, that allows us as marketers to figure out what we're doing from a, a targeting and, and messaging perspective, but then vice versa, right? If we've got deals that are coming through that are, you know, book a demo, really high quality opportunities, I'm going to say, hey, you know, sales, like what's going on with that deal? Have we been able to get them on the phone? Have they shown up to the demo? And, and if they ghosted, do we, do we 
uh, do a good job of getting them back on the line and, and, and back in front of us. And so that's actually been a, a really good exercise where we can kind of hear what's going on from each from each other's perspectives and, and learn from that. Um, and I think if you're not currently having that that meeting with your with your your sales folks, that's one you should that, that's a process you should lean into. Um, I think it's really easy to get siloed and, and just say, okay, well, here's that deal we passed off, and then forget about it. Um, so we have a really good communication loop. You know, our director of sales and myself are, are pretty tied at the hip, and we see things pretty pretty clearly the same way. Um, and one of the things that that's allowed us to do is like, you know, when things aren't going well or with the economic thing that's going on and people are pushing deals to next year that we thought we're going to close and, you know, those types of things. It's like, let's be frustrated together, you know, rather than being frustrated by ourselves or, or frustrated with each other, you know. And, and so that's what's allowed us to do is like, let's just have these candid conversations and really um, kind of systematically work through each one of the deals, each one of the outcomes, what's looking good, what's not. Um, and that's, yeah, that's been a good experience for us, I think. It's not quite a tool, but it is a system and a process that we've got kind of to put in place here in the last maybe six weeks. Is there a particular structure to that meeting? Like, do, are there specific sort of like, okay, we're going to spend the first 10 minutes going through pipeline, we're going to, whatever it is. Yeah, that's no, exactly right. Yeah, so essentially we, we kick off with, uh, the sales team will work through any deals that they have open, current status, hurdles, things they're hearing, things that we can help with. Uh, we'll then go through anything that is in pipeline, right? Maybe it hasn't progressed to an actual opportunity yet, but someone has come in and booked a demo and they've requested some information, that sort of thing. And then once we've worked through those, which usually that takes up a good chunk of the time, then it's it, then it's marketing's turn to do the update. So myself and then our, our director of product marketing will kind of go through, here's what we have, you know, here's the podcast that's coming out this week. Here's the blog post going out this week. We also have this new ebook coming down the line. Our CEO is doing a speaking engagement on Thursday at noon. Here's the link and here's a rundown of that. Oh, and by the way, here's what we have coming up in the next like six weeks. And so we try to just stay out in front of that and, and help the sales team understand what we're working on. And that's a lesson that I relearned recently. If you aren't being intentional, intentional about internal marketing, it's going to come back to bite you. So I it, like it's been so many things going on, right? So busy and we're a small team. We've got a lot going on. And so it's kind of one of those things where I wouldn't take a whole lot of time to say, check out these new ads that we launched this week. And we just built out this new audience and we're getting this incredible click through rate. And we're trying out this new messaging and this and testing all these different things. We just kind of, I just kind of glossed over those things because it wasn't, it wasn't something that I felt like I needed to spend time on. And that came to a point where the sales team were like, what do you guys work? Like, what's going on? Like, what's working? What's not? Like, how, like, how can we know more of what you guys are doing? And that was a, a lesson relearned. It's a lesson I learned a long time ago. I just forgot about it because I got busy. Um, so being intentional about taking the, the, the other stakeholders in the business through what you're working on, what's working, what's not working, what you're trying. Um, that was something that I, I think is, is really important to remember, especially when you're going through your weekly updates and your, your process of what's going on. Um, oversharing, I think, is important, especially when it's uh, important to the people that are, on the, that are on the call. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the other thing it does, and it's something that we try to instill in the engagements we do with our clients, it's, it's sort of like we call it relationship enablement, where it's sort of like, how do you leverage the assets that are being created by marketing in the sales process, whether that be the messaging, whether that be the podcast that's coming out, like you said, or whatever, right? They can, in theory, like, let, I mean, the, the basic, I'll give you a couple of examples that we always have is like, all right, the company's running a podcast, we run ads, somebody in the ICP engaged with the ad. Well, okay, let's let the sales team know. Now, now your you know, SDRs can go and connect with those people on LinkedIn and 
you know, whether the, I mean, should they be sending them a, hey, can, do you want to schedule a meeting? Probably not. But there's sort of the, you know, there, there's, it's a way to build to that relationship and start the conversation. And the other thing is like, all right, well, this podcast just came out. It talks about this thing. That's often a question that comes up in sales. Now you got that asset, you can use it or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if, if you have someone, uh, for myself, it's my director of product marketing, he's got a sales background. So he really understands where to plug things in from a sales enablement perspective to say, Hey, we've got this going on. It's definitely relatable to, you know, something that, you know, feature that we have in the product, like here's how you can connect those dots. And he'll even go as far sometimes like write emails and, and put together templates that we'll send over to the team to use. Um, one great example of this, that's something we're doing right now. Uh, my CEO did a speaking engagement for a virtual conference a few months ago at the end of his talk. Uh, he offered up, hey, we've got this, it's called the Little Black Book of SaaS. If he's like, if you guys would like a copy of the book that we wrote, email, you know, marketing at uh, placetechnology.com, we'll send you a copy. And so as those started flooding in, I couldn't believe how many people wanted a copy of that. We're looking through that list, right, of all those people that have requested that. And then I'm sharing that list with the sales team and saying, hey, earmark ones that are ICP for us. And then when I ship these out and I send them, you're going to send a follow-up email that says, Hey, so-and-so thanks so much for asking for a copy of the book. It's in the mail right now, by the way, did you know that we do X, Y, Z? We'd love to, you know, share one more of this with you. Um, that's a missed opportunity if you just ship the book out and that's the, and that's where it dies on the, on the vine. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think you, it, as really good marketers, I think you have to be intentional about putting yourself in the shoes of a salesperson and say, what can we send them? Where does it map to, you know, what we think the buyer's journey might be uh, and being intentional about making sure they understand how it fits into their sequences or their outreach, or maybe they've got a deal that's gone cold and we've got a huge product release coming that is definitely worthy of putting back in front of that person because it's something they would care about. Um, and so if you're not doing a good job of making sure they understand what you're working on, uh, you miss an opportunity to help them do their jobs, which is a big part of why marketing exists in the first place. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you, uh, mentioned that it's a product marketer because on our side, our one of our directors, Dimension, actually has a, a, a product marketing background and he's the one that is kind of leading the charge on this relationship enablement service line development that we've got. Because again, he's he's worked with sales before, he's done this in the past and he really gets where that intersection lies. And I think that that's that critical part. So it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned product marketer. Well, so it's, well, he's product marketing, but his 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 role previous to that was like a sales engineer kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? So he was really in depth with the product and knows it really well. And before that, he was an AE. Before that, he was an SDR. So that's why he's got that background. Same exact thing with my director of demand gen for my previous role. He started his career as an SDR, so he understands that mindset. And that's a, another great example. I've never been a salesperson. I've never sat in that seat. So to have people who have that mindset on your team and empowering them to do what they do and, and be good at it is a huge advantage when you think about, okay, let's put people in seats that they have experience to, to, to execute on. Awesome. Well, uh, what about results? What uh, What's maybe some of the more exciting stuff that your team has been able to achieve again, whether you want to throw numbers at it or uh, milestones or whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know, starting marketing is, uh, uh, it's a long-term investment, right? And so you, your, your team, your CEO, your leadership, whoever understanding that, like, you know, we can go run a ton of paid ads and try to capture as much as out there, you know, of people actively in the buying cycle looking for something that we do, right? That's a short-term thing that I did. The second week I got here was 
what what is Google Ads? What are keywords look like? What's working? What's not? What's going on in LinkedIn? How can we tweak and adjust? And let's keep that going while we're building some of this other stuff in the background. Um, and when I got here, I you know I told our, our our founders and I told our director of sales, and I was like, guys, six months minimum before you feel like you're really going to see much of what we're doing from this content perspective and really building this brand and the podcast that we're doing and all these things that we're working on in the background that are a long slow burn, like they are not an overnight thing that you're going to see immediate results from. So you have to be intentional about setting that expectation at the beginning is what I'll say. I'm now seven months into my role that I've been in. And just this month, we're really seeing an influx of inbound leads coming in. We're seeing people requesting and say, I heard about you on LinkedIn, or I saw your CEO on that engagement that you did, or I heard the podcast or like whatever those things are that just take time to stand up and get running. And so if you can get small wins along the way from the paid stuff, that's great. Uh, also, my sales director was like, hey, man, we're going to grind as hard as we possibly can to give you some air cover and some runway to set things up the way that you're really you know, trying to do. And they did that. They got us through the last you know, six months or whatever and, and kept us afloat and kept closing deals. Um, and so I, selfishly, this is the first quarter ever where the marketing created pipeline is just a tiny bit higher than the sales <laughs> created pipeline which is like this great balance right that's where i think it should be but uh, you know historically they've blown us out of the water from a pipeline creation perspective but now we're seven months in right we're starting to see some of the things that we put in place drive results uh and so that actually has been a kind of a proud moment for me the last couple of weeks is seeing some good inbound action and some some deals that are ICP, the companies that we want to be working with or the accounts that the sales team has said, hey, I'm trying to get in here. What can you do to help me out? So I'm running LinkedIn ads against those exact same people and we're starting to see people come in from that. Um, so yeah, I mean, just from a pipeline creation and inbound opportunity perspective, that's a win that I've seen here recently. It's, uh, you know, we'll see how long that continues to go. I think sales is probably going to maybe had a slow week or two and they're probably going to come back and kick our butt here the next <laughs> couple of months of the quarter. Um, but that's something that, that I've been proud of at least here initially is starting to do some of the inbound things that, um, you know, I was brought in to do essentially. One more tactical question for you. Cause I, I think it's important to celebrate wins. How, how have you been celebrating this with the team? Uh, so we'll celebrate when all of these inbound and pipeline opportunities are closed one, right? <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the real indicator of success. Uh, and I think that uh, as marketers, you have to really celebrate the closed ones, not just the pipeline, because if you're just yeah. driving pipeline and it's, and it's garbage, it doesn't help the company at all. Um, so I, you know, it's funny. I literally, I told the sales team a few weeks ago, I was like, if we actually, you know, we, let's get home this quarter. Like we've got a, we've got a lofty goal, but it's there. Like we can go get it and we can do it. Um, I told them, I was like, I'm taking a week off in December and my wife and I are going to go to California or something. So that's like a personal way of celebrating. Um, but we're pretty intentional. We've, we've got a, we've got like a, you know, a shout outs or a celebrate the wins type Slack channel that we use. Um, and so anytime we have these deals come through, you know, our, our team is really intentional about saying, you know, we couldn't have got this, this demo environment set up without the product and engineering, engineering team setting it up just the way that the, the customer wanted to see it and, and making sure we're taking time out to, to give kudos and give shout outs to the people that were a part of it. Um, and I, you know, I think that's important, especially from the top down, you know, when my CEO hops in and says, Hey, you know, fantastic job, AE that closed this deal that we couldn't have gotten without, you know, marketing helping and, and, you know, our VP of operations, making sure that all of our uh, systems were set up to, to implement on time. So, um, you know, little things like that, I, you know, we're, we're remote first, so it's not like we could just go do a happy hour or anything like that. Um, but that's some of the things that we're doing. I, you know, I think we could be better about it if I'm honest. Yeah. I, I, we're also fully remote and those are some of the things that we're 
also try to figure out. So I was curious if you got any any fun things you're doing. Yeah, so I mean, like in the past in the office, right, we had a huge giant gong that we'd hung right next to my CEO's office. And so when we would send somebody over there, everybody would stand up and watch uh, and he would we would startle him uh, as we would hit the gong. But, you know, when you're when you're all working remote, there's there's not as many of those opportunities to do stuff like that. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, Carter, this has been this has been great. I think you shared a lot of great insights for the budding marketing leaders out there. Um, if anybody has any well, I guess two things. One, if you're a content marketer and you're looking for a great role, reach out to Carter. He's hiring. Uh, other than that, if people have questions, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn is certainly where I am, I am most active. Um, it's just LinkedIn, uh, Carter-Severance, so super easy, easy to find me. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're listening to this and, and I can be of service or of help or give you advice or feedback on anything marketing career-wise, I am... Uh, I'm all ears. I'm always willing to, to hop on a chat because I like I like doing these kind of things. And, and if, if people didn't take time to share their wisdom with me, I wouldn't be where I'm at. So if I have the opportunity to do that, um, that's why I do this stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. And if you're a podcast host, I know Carter's making the podcast round. So <laughs> this is true. I have been trying to be more intentional about doing these things. So if anybody would would like a a, a marketing mindset, share stories, whatever it is, career stuff. Uh, yeah, I'd love to share it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Carter, I know we're a little bit over time. Uh, do you have a couple more minutes to do our lightning round or do you got to Oh, jump? yes. Yeah, no, let's do the lightning round. I forgot. All about right, that. let's do the lightning round. All right. What is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Pipeline. What's something you're looking forward to testing out this year? Something new? Something new. Um... This coming year this coming year. Oh boy. That's, uh, <laughs> that's like further than I've thought. Uh, or even this year, whatever. Uh, so we're, we're trying out something right now that I've never done before, which is like a, uh, direct, like book a demo, get something from us. I've always felt it like it's so gimmicky in the past, but I've seen it work in other companies. I'm like, okay, let's try this out because I'm so confident that if we can just get these people on the phone with us, I know that we can help them and solve problems for them. So if that's the case and you're willing to come have a conversation with us, I'll send you a hundred bucks or whatever. So we're trying that out. We'll see how it goes. I know we've got one demo book from it already. So, so far so good. Interesting. I'd love to hear how that plays out. <laughs> uh, what is a marketing quote unquote best practice that you think needs to go by the wayside? practice uh i so if if anyone still is like how many leads did you create this month that to me should go in the trash i could give you two thousand leads by uploading some list i got from somewhere to me it's more about what is actually like qualified opportunities and pipeline um rather than like quote unquote leads all right uh what is your favorite uh, business or marketing book Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I would say just because I'm reading it right now, uh, influence is probably the one that I've liked the most. It's really good about, around psychology and the way that people, uh, you know, enter certain scenarios and understand how to make decisions. And then, uh, the gift or the, the, uh, reciprocity is the word that's used a lot of times. That one's yep. really interesting where you, where people feel like they're indebted to you for something. Uh, I don't know that that's one that I'm reading right now. That's kind of top of mind. Well, that actually ties back to maybe the thing you're testing, right? Like you're giving them something and they're uh, more likely to, you know. Oh, wow. Maybe that's why we're doing that. <laughs> um, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? That one's, there's so many. Um, 
So it, it's funny. It never bothered me until I had a CRO who it just absolutely irked, uh, and that was put a pin in it. Uh, and he actually despised it so much that his license plate on his truck is pin in it. And so I'm going to steal that one because that was always so funny to me that he had so much despise for a term that he put it on his license plate. Uh, and I'd never cared about it until he said it. And now every time I hear it, I just cringe. All right. Now maybe a, a few, uh, fun personal ones. What, uh, what's a favorite song or playlist, uh, that you listen to while at work? Oh, favorite song or playlist? Uh, so, I, weirdly, this week the the new Charlie Puth album has been playing. Uh, the dude is insanely talented, so I've really enjoyed listening to that. Um, also, completely, totally different shift. Uh, big Morgan Wallen fan. That's just like a go to for me. I'm in Texas, so we like a lot of country here. Awesome. I don't know either of those, but I'm gonna have to check them out. <laughs> um, what is something that your LinkedIn network wouldn't know about you? That you're willing to share. Wouldn't know about me. Um, well, depending on how recently you followed me, uh, I used to have hair. Like, that's a, an interesting one, right? And, like, my, <laughs> my picture, I don't have hair in it, but I, like, there's still pictures of me out there if you Google me with hair, and I think that confuses people. Uh, so I had hair not that long ago for people that just started following me on LinkedIn. That might be a good one. <laughs> All right. Cool. Awesome. Well, Carter, this was fun. Hopefully you had some fun, too, and really appreciate your taking the time to chat yeah thank you for having me this is awesome had a great time uh again always happy to come on and, and chat with you guys at proof point so i appreciate it awesome thanks all we'll see y'all next week thanks for joining us on another episode of the master marketer show we'll be back next week with more b2b marketing success stories visit our website www.proofpoint.marketing for the full episode library complete with show notes guides templates and more Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.